another mid-month episode where I am going to pull out a record from my collection and then I will contact the artist that I'm listening to and I'll simply ask them do you want to come on do you want to talk about horror excuse me you wonderful human being who makes stupendous music that I rather enjoy listening to do you perchance also partake in the dark stuff you know the grit the grime the horror And if the answer is yes, well, I will get them on this here show to chat all about any movie of their choice. And today, that film is Barbarian. And the artist in question, well, they are John Sortland, the drummer of The Shins and the drummer from Cigar, E.V. Kane and Broken Bells. And in this chat, we get stuck straight into the music side of things, as I am currently obsessed with that new cigar album like you would not believe. It's called The Visitor. It came out on Fat Records, and I think it came out in the latter stages of 2022. At least that's when I discovered it. It might have been out a few months before that. But yeah, there we go. We'll get there soon. In the meantime... I have to mention that A Year in Horror has a Patreon channel. And over there, I put up at least four exclusive shows a month. And there are two series currently running. The first is a rundown through the Tier 1 Video Nasties, uh, which has simply been, if I'm going to be honest, life-changing for me. And it is really weird listening back to the early episodes where I wasn't too sure about what I was letting myself in for. Now, I just proper, proper love doing it. I love watching even those truly awful ones. I'm just obsessed. I can't help myself. Love it. Not only that, though, at Christmas, I began the Amityville franchise series. And there is over 50 movies. There's a new one every couple of months, I swear it. And I'll be delving into all of them that I can. Most of them, they are complete trash. But this thing that I'm doing, again, it's so much fun. Hopefully for you, but definitely for me. I speak with the directors, I speak with the actors and my regular guests, they come on every now and again too. Plus, there is tons of other random stuff too, all horror, all the time. In fact, one of those things is once a month, I will have a chat with my buddy Howard H. Smith from the band Acid Rain and we blend his podcast with this one, so we call it A Year in Bollocks and we just choose any film that we can find on a streaming service somewhere and we will delve into it. That happens one time per month. You'll find it all over at patreon.com forward slash a year in horror. And I thank you in advance. As for Barbarian, well, we all know about that, right? Along with Terrifier 2, along with Smile and the X and Pearl double bill, it was one of those runaway successes from 2022. It raked in over 10 times its budget. And now, in the UK at least, it's found a home on Disney Plus of all places. And this one stars Georgina Campbell as Tess Marshall. She is a young woman staying in Detroit for a job interview. And she's rented an Airbnb. It's also got Bill Skarsgård in it. He plays Keith a young man who has double booked that Airbnb with Tess and he's staying in Detroit to scout some locations for a community organisation. Justin Long pops up. He is AJ. He's a sitcom actor and he has a, a frankly hilarious scene with the measuring tape. We've got Matthew Patrick Davis and he plays the mother and Richard Brake, he plays Frank, who is the mother's father. Gets very confusing. And this is where I'm going to leave it, in fact. We're going to get straight into the chat And we will probably not enlighten you any further on this matter. But yeah, this is me and John Sortland. We're chatting in the latter half of January 2023. John, hello. Welcome to A Year in Horror. 
Hello, thank you. I tell you what, I can't stop listening to your album. I just cannot stop it. And uh, I'm going to go into it. I've got to ask you about a specific bit of a specific song. And I'm going to get there in a moment because... I don't even know what band you're talking about. Well, this is the issue with you. <laughs> there are so <laughs> many bands. Okay, I'm talking about Cigar, but we'll get there. We'll oh, get okay. There. Right, okay. So I'm going to start with a question that I've sort of stopped asking people now, but I have to ask you because you've got so, so much on your plate, it would look like to the outsider. You've got all the bands that you're working with, plus all the video work that you're doing. Now, I'm wondering because you were in such a busy place when lockdown hit when when the pandemic hit how did it affect your your brain functioning with regards to art because you are a creative guy what what happened to you at that point i actually had an interesting thing happen um a buddy of mine who used to do um drum teching with me in the shins uh I, w- cigar is not at a level where we have a drum tech like we're hoping that maybe <laughs> I think we're going to have our first uh, sound guy touring with us this year. Really cool drummer, dude. Uh, but um, but normally, uh, you know, uh, in the shins, we have a whole crew. And um, I've had a kind of revolving cast of uh, techs that I'm lucky enough to have tuned drums better than I can. And half the time, they're better drummers than I am. They're just like, like this guy, Scott McPherson, um, played with Elliot Smith and Beck and Sam I am and M Ward and all these people. So he was teching when I uh, joined, um, I guess it was broken bells, but um, he um, likes the video stuff I do. So at one point he put me in contact with a woman that he's been managing. Uh, He also does a lot. He makes uh, the amazing um, cymbal bags and stick bags, but he also manages people and he's a killer drummer. Uh, it's called Tackle. It's really cool shit. But um, he put me in contact with this woman that was um, about to put out some music. And he said, I think you could make a video for her, you know, maybe miniatures. She likes the video stuff I showed her, you know. And so we made a plan to do this. And um, then the, I went to see her band play. And the very next day, the if you will, the lockdown happened. Sure. So uh, I probably, I don't know how much um, COVID was generated that night, but I was at a concert. Uh, a bunch of people were there, and, uh, including her husband's Roman Coppola. And um, his dad's there. Francis Ford Coppola's there. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God, we're all shaking hands. And, like, <laughs> he's much older now. But the cool thing was I was going to make her a video. Her husband's made her videos. She's She has really good people in her world. For making videos and she's very involved <laughs> no herself shit. in the industry yeah but um it was kind of cool for me because everything's on hold now they went up north to the i think to the estates uh, where they make the wine and they're all staying in different places and she's even separated from the dad the grandpa you know uh, from francis but right. roman and her in another spot and then i had this idea i thought well how about i'll make all the miniatures here and I'll do all the miniature stuff that I intended to do in the video. And then we'll just kind of like uh, juxtapose or, you know, like green screen her into a lot of shots, which would have been a lot of the idea anyway, had COVID not separated us. Right. And then I said, right, do you have access to a camera? And she goes, well, Roman has some cameras. I'm like, oh, yes, maybe Roman will do it. <laughs> you know. I mean, outside of this video, I don't, I wouldn't have had any access to Roman's help, you know, or attention or anything. But then, um, yeah, he agreed to do it. So I, I wrote up all these storyboards, sent them to her, then she'd give them to Roman, and then he would shoot her and then send it back. And, and in the end, um, every scene, like I'd have a moment where I'd have her reach down by the camera and, and then pick something up, and I'd cut to my girlfriend's hand with the same painted nails moving the miniature around and putting it back down and so uh it, it ended up being a really cool way to navigate the covid uh you know lockdown and it kept me busy uh for a brief period <laughs> i saw it today actually um, and oh yeah what triggered that question because i'm just like that's the one thing that you can sort of actually take control of yourself during that period so you don't have to completely switch off um working with bands and just like you actually uh be- before uh everything locked down here i was on tour that week before so you know 
so lucky that like we didn't get it at that point but who knows who did you know it's crazy um but yeah that when we were effectively shut down the music industry here just closed just whoom, everything yeah was down. I, I, at, the, at the time I was managing bands and it was just like, I'm so sorry there's nothing literally nothing we could do here do you want to do an online stream you know <laughs> that's about it right um, yeah yeah difficult times but I I could see that sort of stuff and I was like I wonder if I wonder if so there we go that's the answer we did some video work we also cigar was ready to go you know we even had a label sorted out before fat records notice us and um but then COVID happened we had just gone to Europe and Japan and then that happened so then we were in this kind of holding pattern like everybody else but it kind of gave the one video uh, we made classic you. Um, it was another one I made. Like we had no budget. We just had some wigs and uh, a whole bunch of borrowed gear. I even borrowed a movie theater in the town I grew up in because we all worked there. But we um, put that out, and that managed to kind of keep things circulating or get a little buzz going. And then ultimately, our singer Rami um, ended up meeting up with Fat Mike for other reasons through a mutual friend. He wasn't someone also uh wasn't someone that we necessarily had access to you know i think we gave him our first record speed as relative in like 2003 we ran into him at a right. warp tour or something and if i remember correctly uh, rami gave it to him and he was kind of like oh yeah like like he'd been meaning to check it out and he said something like that and we're like whoa he knew about us yes and then he went off and you know and then a while later rami ran into him again and was like hey did you check out that cd and he goes which one cigar and he goes oh yeah it's all right and that was all we got it's like Fuck, damn it yeah <laughs> well what was it i mean that was my next question like fat records growing up for me was like a, a huge deal and i always preferred fat rex to epitaph because i just thought that fat rex going to give me that stuff that maybe in the uk we're never going to have access to if it wasn't for this label and there was a seven inch in fact that the drum sound sounded so much like yours, which is why I picked up on your band. Uh, first, I think it was the first Good Riddance seven inch called Decoy, oh. uh, mm. and and the the drumming on that was so similar uh, in sound to yours. Like the snare is so so similar. I could not believe it. I was like, this sounds great. It reminds me of that seven inch, and then that's how I sort of fell in love with your band. But how did Fat Records deal just come about? And and was it a, like a no brainer, or were you? Were you like, uh, oh, we do have other offers here. Were you thinking about it? Or was it just like, no, Fat Records? Uh, well, you know, I, I had this band in, uh, I don't even, I can't even think of the time span. And we, we started in the late 80s. We didn't know how to play anything. And then by like 94, we ended up breaking up because I was on a mission to start what became Cigar. Right. Uh, but this other, the previous band was called Circus Tents. And it was just like, angst-ridden screaming punk rock uh we were pissed at the cops we were pissed at the rednecks my good friend i have a, actually a, a little phone meeting with later today wedge um he was he ended up being the singer he's like i don't sing i'm like just fucking scream do that thing you do like he'd, he'd show me all his favorite punk bands on the bus to school and uh he had like skater bangs you know uh, yeah. we, we were we were graduates of uh 91 from high school so i'm like pushing 50 right now but um, he was like, dude, listen to this. And he put the little Sony Walkman. You remember the orange Sony? Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, he he pulled that up to me and like we listened to it. And he'd like get one ear and he like knew every word. So he'd be kind of like mouthing along with it. Tell me how rad it is, you know, like suicidal tendencies or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, like I thought it was cool, but I didn't get the real fast thing. It wasn't clicking right. with me yet. And then I really liked I Saw Your Mommy, the suicidal track on the yeah. very first record. It has like real classic uh, kind of rock chops. And I'm coming from being really into like uh, Appetite for Destruction and Metallica. And I was trying to grow my hair out. But he was just like all about like classic punk rock and skate rock and all that. And he got me to go to my first punk show, Youth of Today. And Jesus. Then, uh, yeah, it was terrifying. Uh, <laughs> He told me there was gonna be a pit. I was like, a pit? He's like, yeah, like everyone just jumps in and like swirl around, just like thrashing. I'm like, oh my god! I imagined it was like dirt in an actual pit. There was no uh, internet, 
you know, I could go on YouTube and have a look. What's a pitch? Yeah, I, could, I, could have, I, I hadn't been paying attention to magazines. I don't know. It just wasn't by the time um, the 90s hit. Most people knew what it was, you know, like I think uh, we even started like one of the first pits at the first Lollapalooza because my friend and I pushed each other during Jane's Addiction or something or maybe Body Count, Iced Tea, and they erupted into a pit and we're like, we started the pit and it was like outside of the punk scene. So it felt even more like it was some kind of um, contagious thing that we were spreading. Uh, I feel like I was there in the era at the tail end of what used to be some kind of like glorious punk era and then i tend to be one of these jaded old guys that that thinks punk died when green day broke right and it doesn't mean you can't love i mean i'm still doing this shit right right but like today my my friend's daughter's 16 she can't rebel against dad by getting into punk like what's she gonna do like wear a leather jacket some spikes and do her hair up and her dad will be like awesome but she's not gonna do that she's getting back at him by getting into modern country now and where you know like how do you uh piss your parents off with punk they are all punk rockers yeah your parents have like sleeve tattoos which we didn't have back then either it's like rollins was the first dude that you're like whoa he's got like prison tats you know i don't know i don't even know if i'm off on a tangent you, you know what i didn't even answer your question so cigar what was the yeah. question? So yeah, well, you you just mentioned that, right? Fat Mike, he wrote that song, like "What's Wrong with Kids Today?" Just about that very thing, like how right. can you rebel? Um, but yeah, like how was it? What, what was the the moment where you decided, yes, we're going to go on to Fat Wreck? Like, did they offer you? Uh, just to tie in that long spiel, I I ended up breaking up with the Circus Tents, the first punk band. Our big claim to fame was we slapped our sticker on Billy Joe's guitar in Green Day. And I mentioned Green Day as like, a, I'm not saying it's a sellout moment. Like, I don't really get too into that. I don't care about the, I, it's not where I'm going with it. I just right. mean that we used to watch Green Day. I've seen Green Day live more than any band still to this day. I used to watch them at Gilman all the time wow. because we were really into the screaming punk rock. And then they would show up and just like blow the doors off with like, I love you pop punk. Like every song was a love song. And they would just command the stage. They were so hard hitting. Like it was just like, it would just hit so hard. I mean, they were incredible live. They were like one of the best live bands you could catch. And then when they blew up, like when they hit Warner and did Dookie, it was like, oh, duh, of course. Yeah. That band was like, man. But what happened was around that era, like uh, early 90s, we got to open Circus Tents. It's a high school punk band of mine. We opened for uh, Lagwagon and they were on the duh tour. And no effects was headlining with the longest line tour with um they El Jefe was new. And um wow. and I remember yeah. uh yeah, and I remember uh Derek, the um the original Lagwagon guy who's passed now. He's he was one of my heroes for this kind of music. But um they opened with Noble End. They didn't open, they were doing sound check with Noble End from the duh album. Do you know that one? It's like I do, I do. I feel like I could do every fill on that song still from memory from the early, probably not as well as Derek, but still it's in there. Um, but uh, they did that for sound check and we were sitting back like going lag, like what the fuck does that mean? And that song kicked in. We're like, <laughs> I remember running up and watching his single pedal and in the intro, unlike the record, it's, it starts with that, you know, that drum fill. I mean, that yeah. drum beat. But he was going doubles at the foot and the snares was like da -da 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 -da, but super fast and he had a single pedal and i was like what the fuck dude and like watching this guy's foot it was like 92 or something i, I mean i don't even know what year that was and uh i was blown away and I, afterwards i'm like dude because luckily we were opening so we all have you know we're all hanging out backstage and i'm like oh my god you must listen to rkl and he's like fuck yeah these are bombers drums i'm like no shit and i was so starstruck because back then you just there was and i was from a small town like this is the closest i ever got like bomber was my hero you know he was like and i was so stoked to find out that derek learned so much from him i think he used to i don't know if he tacked for him or what but he says someone else would know a lot more about derek's origins right right but um but we both kind of bonded over that i was younger and like all starstruck so he didn't hang out too long I said all right kid and then i went home and sold my double pedal so I moved to Eugene, Oregon in 94, and I was on a mission 
to start a band that ended up being Cigar, but like more melodic, more technically, uh, you know, I had these aspirations for technical stuff. I was kind of, uh, I was in a little phase where I was learning kind of quickly on the drums, like, I want to try this, I want to try that, and throwing it at my band, but it didn't really fit the band I'd already been in. Right. It was just like new ideas that were more melodic. And I feel like our five-year run kind of hit its, you know, it was kind of a sad little breakup. Then I moved to Eugene and the goal was to start this type of band that would be perfectly uh, in my mind, in my fantasy, it would perfectly fit in fat records, you know? Right. And then I just, it, that was like 94. And then we don't hear from Fat Mike until like 2022 or 2021. So I don't even, I don't even know what it was now. I I talked to him on the phone finally and I was like, dude, it's it take 28 years to get on your goddamn label. <laughs> anyway, it feels good. I love fat. Yeah, it's, it, I don't know. Uh, again, f- throughout my youth, it was always like a fat record, for mainly for seven inches for some reason. Just love their seven inches. There is a moment on the record, and this is, I've got to mention this because I can't stop listening to this track, mainly for the middle eight. Okay. It's Legacy of the Plies. And I just wonder what the fuck was going on in the studio at the time. What was going on in your head to do like such a, it's almost like, uh, a prog song a whole prog song but filtered down into one middle eight in a pop punk band it's <laughs> incredible what's going on just in that <laughs> that part where it breaks out it's like I remember we were in this room and uh credit to Rami, he he brought basically the whole song. I mean, he doesn't fuck with the bass or the drums. He knows we have a great relationship and we we co-write everything together, but he will just knock out so many ideas and then he'll show up and just like hit you with idea after idea after idea. And you're like, okay, okay, hang on, hang on. <laughs> Let's just do this one for a minute. It's like, and as soon as you do it, it's like, and this one and that one and this one, I'm like, hang on to this. Like, <laughs> let's get a few of them and like get them just really popping and then move on. But, uh, but with that one, I remember we were going, Ba-da-da-da. and then it's supposed to kick back in again. And then with Hishki here, um, I don't know if Hishki was here. Uh, he was our new bassist, but we just started, uh, we kept going. I liked how the pocket felt when I went, Ba-da-da-da. And I'm like, then I could like drop down to like, you know, um, like a straight four, four, like four and four kind of thing. And then Hishki just filled in the middle bits with a, he's like, so he's good. a finger yeah. player. Yeah. And then we were cracking up in here like, fuck, that feels so good. How many times we do it? And like <laughs> on the last hit, let's drop it down to a different note. And we just all kind of did it real time in here. And um, Rami's always a little reluctant to like, uh, let you bend his ideas too much right. and also we hadn't been working a lot together at the time so we were just trying to like get it going again you know and um when we did that we were all like pretty pumped and now rami and i are back in a really sweet spot like we know um each other's version of cigar that we know that neither of us are trying to change the formula yeah like we have other the bass player and i have another band called eb kane and it's way more I mean, just in reference uh, to cigar, it's way more proggy. But to prog bands, it's not prog. Right. To math rock bands, it's not that weird. It's more like uh, a police ripoff with a little more of the punk rock wow. energy with uh, fucked up time signatures. But the bass player and I do that. Uh, it's a lo- it's another trio. It's fairly infrequent. It's pretty under the radar, but it's like the time signatures are all over the place. It's a lot of fun. And he's always just like <laughs> doing crazy shit. We kind of like almost battle each other by like, um, I showed him one thing I had that was in five 
and it's a really busy ridiculous drum thing it's almost like bareback hauling ass on a horse it's just re- hard to hang on to and he listened to it and he's like okay kind of like um i'll see your weird <laughs> bareback horse race and i'll raise you and then he brings back some basing that is just ridiculous but we have a lot of fun so with ev kane is there uh is there new stuff coming out i know there's two tracks on spotify but that that's all i could find uh, yeah there is actually uh i think there's like five in the world <laughs> under underground there's some seven inch around here somewhere the bass player and i are wrapped up in a million things together so we're stuck together like it or not the singer and i really love writing together so um we're just separated by like an eight hour drive and uh it's hard to get together but um we are planning on finishing some of those those songs we have some stuff written that some of my favorite stuff we've ever played live we haven't recorded yet and it's just we're we're gonna do it it's it's madness that like i i'm the same age as you so like mm. I, uh, I checked out your date of birth and I, i'm like six months younger that's crazy that like oh cool it's it's crazy what a relief <laughs> so hungry and, and you're at this age and you've been through it like you've done years upon years upon years of musical graft and yet you're still hungry for it and you can hear it on the record you really can oh i appreciate that perspective i i think that we never had our moment necessarily like we've had really cool moments but it never hit we haven't hit any mark that we i i don't think i ever set the bar high enough i i remember when we were doing cigar i thought i just want to be referenced with all these other bands i love but i never thought I want to sell out massive shows, you know. I don't right. want there to be thousands of people. I just didn't think that. I just thought when someone says Lagwagon, maybe someone else would go, Oh, have you ever heard Cigar? Like that's all I really wanted in 94. Right. And then um I feel like we finally got to this point where that's happening enough in some areas and more so now with fat. But if we're kind of like, shit, do we have any idea what we wanted next? Do we even think about it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. I think it makes you hungry, though. If you never really like, um, like yeah. I've got all these other, I've got friends and really, really big bands, you know. Or even when I play in the shins, I see a level of success that I didn't uh, achieve on my own. I was fortunate enough to get pulled into that world and, you know, call it a job. And yeah, man, what, what a career! And like, that's the thing is, you, I love that you. It just when I put that record on, it sounds hungry. It sounds alive and vital, nice. uh, and that that's what what you want when you listen to punk. That's what I want to hear. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, yeah. Should we me talk too. about some horror? Should we? Oh yeah, shit. It's my favorite thing to talk <laughs> <Shit>. about. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, let's begin. What is your history with horror? You mentioned just earlier in a little uh, uh, private message, like Twilight Zone movie, just out of the blue, like. <laughs> <laughs> what's your history with that this? movie is so ridiculous i don't love it all i i always skip the second story um with uh, scatman in yeah, the old yeah, folks yeah. home the steven spielberg one it's very did so did spielberg oversee them all or was it just that one i or? think that was his baby that one oh okay and then the the first one uh is so grim and um even though you know they're making the point that the guy's a very racist um old white man's burden son of a bitch cool. um it's still so it's so weird to hear i remember even back then it was so harsh he's like uh just spewing all these awful racial slurs the whole time yeah you yeah, know yeah. you're like they got my job and this guy you know he's like pissed about everything in the bar and people are telling him hey man cool it because he's saying all this filthy shit and then he steps out the door and he's in Nazi Germany. Like, what the? <laughs> and um, he's running from the Nazis and they think he's Jewish. And it just keeps spiraling. But you remember what happened in that in real life? Yeah. Yeah. Dude gets, he got literally chopped in half. Crazy. Yeah. That story. Vic Morrow. That's the guy. Yeah. He was on um, that uh, Shudder program where it's like cursed films and they, they actually showed the scene. And, we had a group of people around watching it because we were just loving these as they were coming out and we did not expect to see the actual footage of it happening right yeah it's one of those times like when you see 
see something horrific for the first time and you just everyone's quiet and you leave the house yeah you're kind of like (laughs) yeah okay yeah is it like a mainstay of your youth and it's never gone or or do you just dip in here and there Uh, there isn't a popped into are you talking about horror in general yeah horror in general oh yeah well i just i think one of the first uh scary movies i went to actually i would have to stop myself and say the first in the theater scary movie i ever went to was um saturn three with kirk douglas it's a sci-fi thriller and it was a double feature with watership down the cartoon oh my god they're both bleak it was probably in 1978 and uh, my mom took me to see that because she saw the bunnies and probably in the Watership Down poster. And it was a double feature. She used to love uh, sneaking in some like fast food to the movie. And we'd like, you know, eat it secretly. And uh, I remember it being a lot of fun. But but uh, Saturn 3 was um, really scaring me. It was like deeply frightening. I just remember pulling my feet up and I kept making like a noise, like a whimper. And she kept saying, are you okay? Should we leave? And I go, I wanted to watch it. I was fascinated, but oh God, it scarred me. I feel like my dreams have always been some kind of mechanical thing trying to get me that's soulless, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm realizing that, that as I say it now, but. So that that's a, that is quite a heavy film and a heavy double bill, really. So you've got the, the, your death <laughs> and then you've got revenge uh, all going oh, on. Oh man, it's terrible. <laughs> For a kid. Yeah, but then Grandpa took me to see Twilight Zone, the movie, in like 1981 or something. Is that when it hit theaters? Uh, Somewhere around there. 83. 83? Okay. I just remembered uh, in that period between 81 and 83, I was in South Lake Tahoe. And that's when I saw probably all the greatest uh, movies, you know, from like E.T. to Indiana Jones, Return of the Jedi. Like, I saw all this in the theater. I knew what was happening. I was like uh, 10 at that point, you know. But um, we saw Twilight's on the movie, and there's that scene where the girl's looking at the TV, and you see her eyes, and it's the, the um, it's the best, and they're they're way back behind. And he goes, "That's my sister," and then it shows, it reveals that she has no mouth. And right at that moment, my grandpa grabbed my knee, and I was like, <laughs> and so I always remember that as like a very terrifying moment, you know. Um, but I think when I watch it nowadays. I just can't get enough of that one where the kid has all the power and there's all the crazy like arcade sounds from Tempest and he's trapped him in the house. Yeah. And it's like uh, got this insane cartoon uh, vibe going the whole time, you know? I mean, that was just terrifying. It's so good. But, um, yeah. Yeah. It is. It's so good. I'm I'm so glad you picked that one because um I've not I this podcast I choose a year at random and then I just go deep. I ask a few guests like what they what they want to talk about. And that year hasn't come up yet. And it's got me really oh, yeah. excited to revisit it. So yeah. Oh, it just popped in my head right before we got here. I mean, I guess uh we were it was a different movie we were talking about. Uh well, yeah, but, well, uh, let's get there. So modern okay. horror. Like so yeah. you we're talking about barbarian. But yeah, like with modern horror, is it something that you uh, are invested in at all now? I kind of feel the same way about modern horror as I do about modern punk rock or anything. I I have this uh, feeling that so much of what I'm seeing this these days, I know how I sound, and I'm out there. I'm out there in a lot of different genres. I'm at festivals all the time. I just did four months of tour this year. I do see very inspired stuff. I'm not like, and I'm and I'm, I'm really inspired by a lot of modern stuff, you know? So often I see people rocking out and it almost looks like they're, you know, like LARPers, like live action role play. Like, it's almost like this is me doing rock and roll, you know, but there's no danger that led them there or something. It was just rock and roll is not dangerous anymore. It's, it's a safe place their grandparents their grandparents created it you know right it's just it's no one's fault really i mean i just find find it a lot of the innovation isn't going to be where most people are looking it's like this weird shit between the cracks you know uh yeah yeah but then sometimes like with horror uh i I was talking about how the conjuring uh made me kind of roll my eyes the whole time I, i went with two millennials and um they were like, oh, my God. And I was that kind of arrogant 
ass that was like laughing all the time and going, oh, are you fucking kidding me? Come on. Don't you guys know what this is from? They're copying this movie. They're copying... It's Poltergeist. It's Amityville Horror. It's yesterday. I feel like, you know, in Barbarian, I, I know we're, we're heading there, but yeah, there's uh, there's like the second act and the really douchey Hollywood guy gets me too and he's sure. like... That guy is sort of what people think of when they think of L.A., like the Hollywood douche, you know? Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, that's kind of who I picture, may, like, I don't know who who really wrote or um, directed The Conjuring. Oh, I do know who directed it. Is that guy, uh, Wan, I think his last name is? But Yeah, James but Wan. I picture, I picture um, uh, a bunch of Hollywood guys like him going, dude, this one's gonna be like the fucking exorcist, bro, but like, turn the fuck up, like, on, on fucking coke, bro. Like, it's the exor- exorcist just fucking, you know, like, they're not, nothing subtle, like, everything's blown out, like, the doors are flying, she's flying through the air, it's just like, right off the bat, he's like, God, like, there's no nuance, there's no subtleties, there's no, like, brewing, building, it's just kind of like, they're trying to like make a superhero movie out of every trope and every classic moment from it's like a blender of like every classic film that we had to like live through and have nightmares over for decades. And then they come along and make like the superhero version. I just, I hate it. I hate that movie. (laughs) (laughs) I had the very issue in the nineties uh, where I just was like, I don't want to go to the cinema and see horror anymore. I'm so tired of it. And I'm sort mm. of, because I'm so deep into it now, like I watch at least one film a day, uh, usually two. And it's just something that I'm now sort of in the midst of being really excited by. But I am looking in those cracks. I am finding everything that I can, like from like alternative underground directors and things and first timers with a little bit of budget. Uh, and I feel like that's where some of the exciting stuff is. But then again, every now and again, something like Barbarian comes through and is a success. So it's, yeah. it's a tricky one. I mean, why did you choose this of, of all the possibilities? Well, I'd just seen it and um, I was talking to a friend about it. And I did I did feel like it wasn't necessarily like a slam dunk. It wasn't like uh, my favorite movie in a long time. I really loved Hereditary. Like I, I watched Hereditary like three right. times or something. Got all my friends to watch it. Half of them hate it because they hear it's a horror movie and they're waiting for a jump scare. And they don't know that horror movies aren't just jump scares. They think that that's what they become now in yeah, Hollywood. It's yeah, just sure. like the, the quiet moment. And then they scare your senses, you know, like a, a, a quiet place did a better job at that than almost all the horror movies I've seen. And I mean, I guess is that horror? It's kind of a sci-fi horror film. Isn't I, it? I I call anything a horror. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jacob's Ladder was probably my last favorite cinematic horror movie uh, before I got too jaded. And and it wasn't even um, one of the great things was it wasn't really advertised as a horror film. It was just a strange psychological thriller, you know. But Barbarian, yeah, I just seen it. A friend was like, "Dude, have you seen Barbarian?" And um. I just really love that they, um, I don't even know exactly what it was. Uh, I just love when dialogue can be that fresh and real, you know, right? when, when the character interactions are totally believable and they feel really modern, they talk the way you and your friends would talk. Is there, is, is there a way to reference that? Cause like uh, white Lotus did that too. That's what I like, you know, not a horror film, but um, I don't know if you've seen White Lotus, but no, not yet. We we it's difficult yeah. to get over here, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they they have a a way of uh, speaking in a very modern style that feels very real. In uh, the beginning of Barbarian, that whole first act, I just loved it, and we already think of Skarsgård as a creep, even though yeah. he's so he seems so uh, genuine. And of course, my mom, she's she always loved all my friends, even the craziest ones, all the guys. You know, we, we had kind of like a teen center of a house growing up. Right. They always came to my mom's house. There was always a shit ton of kids there to the point where I'd come home and see their cars and be like, oh, fuck, just want to relax or like play Mario 3 by myself or whatever. But but they'd be in there having dinner with my mom or something. 
I watched it with her a second time and she's like, oh, she thought he was just the sweetest. And that when I saw it, I thought he was a creep the whole time. I'm screaming, get the fuck out of there. What are you doing in there? Why would you stay there? And my mom just uh, thought he was the greatest. But um, but we all know him from it. Right. So, we're right. Thinking, oh, they chose him for a reason. He he can play yeah. a real creep. And so we're, we're in for it. So as soon as they see that room downstairs, I'm like, oh, my God, get the fuck I'm six foot seven, you know, and uh, I still, if I saw a room like that in a basement, I'd be like, oh, fuck, give me the fuck. I'd be so out of there. There's nothing that would get me back in there. I'd be calling the police, call everyone. Uh, I don't know. I just would not go back in. So when she's going back in, it's also very classic horror where you're like, don't do it. They're doing it anyway, you know. Yep. You got to love that. It's a, well, the thing with that intro scene, I think I would have acted really similar to to Bill Skarsgård in that. I would be like to him, yes, yeah. I would be like, I, I'm, I really don't want to make you feel awkward. And just by saying that, you're making that whole situation dangerous and awkward in her mind. It's nothing right. To do. So yeah, it's I. I just was watching it and was just thinking, oh, I see where this is going. Of course, I had no idea where it was going, but right, right. you just think, oh, I know what film I'm in now. Uh, yeah, and it does play that trick on you. So we're not worried about spoilers if people come here. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, right. For it. Because all the way up to the moment where he's literally, he's like in the darkness going, there's someone down here. And he's freaking out in the way down in the catacombs under the house. Yeah. You're still like, get the fuck out of there. He's trying to lure you into the worst. If any, it's, it has yeah. to be worse than that room we just saw, you know? And, uh, <laughs> that that's got to be the worst thing ever that weird interrogation room that that she sees on her own it's the worst thing <laughs> it's, it's like films we know what goes on in them we rooms. know what happens there yeah you, if you see that everyone should know if you ever see that <laughs> the, you do anything you can like dive out a window head first you know if it cuts your face you know get the fuck out of there if there's a room like that in the basement but then she goes back in she goes deeper and deeper but it's just so amazing that Skarsgård is the monster in my head. I'm like, oh my god, this sweet guy is gonna be disgusting, you know, like Jeffrey Dahmer type. Yeah. And then that wildebeest woman thing uh, pops out in the darkness, and you're just like, what? It's so crazy. There, well, there's a read on it where, like, because they start bonding over like jazz and stuff, uh, yeah. and then. Because I'm such a cynic, I'm thinking, well, he must have read up about her on Facebook or something and knows that she's into jazz. So he's just learned a few key things about what she's into. Uh, so yep. that's what I'm thinking. But really, it's a really nice romantic thing. And yeah, to get his, see his head smashed in, you're like, oh, <laughs> we're only half an hour in. What's going on? Is, yeah, yeah. And then boom, it cuts yeah. to the next scene. And a guy's singing along, driving his convertible. <laughs> and he's uh, high on life, you know. Oh my God, that guy, Justin Long, <laughs> is it? What do I know him from? Oh, is that his name? Something yeah, Long. Yeah, it is his right? name. Yeah, yeah. He, oh, he's in tons, none of which I can remember. Of course. Justin Long. I'm watching him thinking, why do I know this guy's face? I know it so well. I don't know what from a TV show, maybe. He must have been in a scream somewhere along the line or something. <laughs> right. Well, um, he's just, he nails that part. He's so oblivious to all the danger. He's so self-concerned. He's just like the most narcissistic dude. And then you're kind of like, do I feel sorry for him? He's getting outed for, uh, you can't tell like if it really happened or not. You, yeah, yeah. initially you no idea at all. You don't no know. No idea what's really happening to him. And uh, and then he meets his friend at the party. He's like, I mean, you know, like, I forget what he says. So like, I she get said I no, but she didn't mean Yeah, that. that kind of shit. You're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Which yeah. is kind of like the classic um, classic formula with horror movies. Like, there's supposed to be a sin committed, right? That unleashes right. an evil. What was, uh, I wonder if, if, if they followed that with the first female protagonist in the first act. I mean, I don't know what how she brought this upon herself i don't know if it was absolutely necessary that she did they I covered it with she him did she, she yeah she just seemed to wander into it she didn't necessarily have an arc of any sort did she 
Well, or am I just, missing something? She was just there for a job. <laughs> That's all she wanted. <laughs> right. <get> a job. <laughs> Man, I I thought that movie was a lot of fun. Like the uh, absolutely disgust. I was watching it with my mom. You know, it was <laughs> oh, like what? that was the first. I and I chose to do it. I knew what I was getting into. I I watched. I I went to mom's house and I I got her a new TV and set up all the channels. And I logged into all my accounts and I saw that I owned that one because I, I wanted to see it and it wasn't out yet, you know, or it wasn't right. rentable yet. It's like, oh, shit, let's just throw this on. And I'm kind of forgetting about those god awful, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> breastfeeding scenes with the beast and the. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my mom is cracking up to that. She's like, oh, my God. Yeah, that was, that was insane. That's the reaction. You liked it you though, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, I loved it because it, it was so different. I don't know about the actual uh the the creature reveal and the chase and all that stuff uh in, in the final acts. Yeah, that, that's often the problem with these movies. Yeah, it just seemed like that sort of thing had been done relatively similar things had been done before, like you've got an eye gouging and things like that. Although I didn't expect to see a whole head split like a, a <laughs> that, like uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Some reason I appreciate a good head split. <laughs> did you did you see upgrade? Oh yeah, I love upgrade. God damn, man. That first fight in the kitchen, it was just like unbelievable but the way he does that guy in it's just like oh my you remember he just like ends up putting a knife yep. right here stepping on the back with the, the mouth is just like <laughs> but that's the thing when you just like with bands as i say when when you see something new like that and you see a director that's hungry like then there's there's films that uh that are going on that you can champion like that and it does feel like i'm a kid again discovering new things again but i guess because we're of that age they're just so few and far between and what you get in the mainstream is often not the thing that's going to excite us anymore because we've been there we've done it you know so yeah i i do believe there is stuff out there but every now and again like barbarian is mainstream i can only watch it if i if i go to disney so you know there there, there is that issue um mm -hmm. i just think that every now <laughs> and again a big one a big one does make it and and that definitely did it ticked all my boxes that's for sure it did yeah and i'm with you like act three i was like okay now we're in the chase and then like uh just a little bit of a like uh it lets a little air out by the end you're kind of like oh okay we're in this phase and we all know how this ends for the most part well I, at the same time like within a couple of days i saw smile also right yeah. <laughs> i kind of feel like in some ways they're sort of like um there was a there was a lot of eye-rolling moments for me in smile and it it just kind of felt like today's generation um they it's their ring you know and um, I can see that yeah, yeah yeah it got a lot from the ring it was also refreshing in ways that the ring was when it came out you know um and it was a lot i liked about it and i i always i always like it when they can nail something uh that kind of i start to giggle a little bit when it's like officially making me go oh shit this is pretty scary you know <laughs> Uh, smile had some moments like that where i was like whoa that's actually really effective you know it had the best it's fun advertising campaign as well with like the, the the people just smiling at baseball games and things like that in in the crowd it was so so good i loved that sort of thing but i yeah. love that sort of thing yeah yeah um, that one was a lot of fun if you had to, and I'm I'm asking you to, so please do. Um, if you have to give this film a, a, a nice double bill, what would you pair with this one? You mentioned Watership Down earlier <laughs> to, to be mixed <laughs> with Saturn Three. I mean, I don't know if that's a good double bill, but what would you put <laughs> with this one, Barbarian? Are you talking about with Barbarian? Yeah. Well, that's actually a really good question. There was stuff I really loved in that one. I really loved when it went back and showed the father of the whole mess, like the the captor. It was so interesting. And he was that kind of like dude that I remember from back then that was like kind of a tight-lipped guy. You can't read his emotions too much, but you always kind of felt like there was uncles like that. And there's like your friend's dad when you come into the house or like your your friend's mom would have a boyfriend like that. They would just kind of like look at you and you'd be like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, I think I grew right. up like a, it was all 
uh, women in my household. I, I mean, my grandpa and me, and then my mom, her sister, my two cousins are girls, and then me. So it's kind of like grandpa take off on the bike a lot. It'd be me and all the girls, you know. Right. But there's a certain kind of dude like that that stresses me out. They don't have to be big stature or anything. They're just like that real quiet little weirdo, like that old guy in Barbarian. It'd probably be a good idea to watch one before that that shows just how wrong it can go if you get stuck in interrogation style or whatever you call that type of trap in a basement where some creep keeps you, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, oh, I had yeah. just seen... I had just seen um, an Unsolved Mysteries episode where uh, this woman, it's one of the new ones. Have you have you ever watched Unsolved no. Mysteries? No, never. Shit. You need to start with the old ones. I think they start in the late 80s and make their way through the 90s with uh, Robert Stack, the old uh, classic uh, Hollywood detective guy. Like Robert Stack, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm aware of what them. What was he in? Yeah, he... Um, he narrates it. The music's incredible. I love the soundtrack so much. And there's a lot of fog like I have going in here. And um, the music's amazing. And they reenact real crime stories with like actors that have mullets and shit, you know, because it's all 80s and 90s. But they're they're actually eerie. And um, sometimes they're ridiculous. But they're all supposed to be true. And at the end, if you have any information that leads to the, you know, like... Um, they, they're always asking the viewer, have you seen this guy? So it makes you feel like you're part of it. Like maybe maybe he does actually look like that guy that works at Safeway, you know? Right. It's it's a trip. Like you watch as a kid, it kind of freaked you out. There was UFO uh, stories and whatnot. And now that they're doing a remake, I think there's a season or two out now. Oh, shit, Netflix. The, and they're nailing it. Yeah. They're nailing it. Like they, they use the same soundtrack. It's, you know, it's all HD now and Robert Stack's long gone. But whoever's involved in bringing that back, I mean, someone might disagree with me, but whoever brought this back understands why the first one worked so well. And it doesn't have to have Robert Stack, you know. Um, I don't feel like they did that with the, the new Twilight Zone series. I feel like they didn't get right. what works so well with the classic Rod Serling Twilight Zone. Uh, because a true Twilight Zone fan like myself is completely, it doesn't placate any like Twilight Zone need I have. It's just, I don't, I don't even get it. Like I tried mm. watching a couple and I was like, come on, man. Same, same. I think Jordan oh. Hill's such a fan um, that he couldn't separate uh, separate it and like make it his own, but, but he's still using the same basis. I just don't know what was going on, on with it. But yeah, he made a mess of it, which is a real It's shame. like kind of an identity crisis around the whole thing. Yeah. Because really I was. really, really like the stuff he's done. I, I think Get Out is one of the better. Cool. You know what? Let's put let's put Get Out with Barbarian as a double feature. <laughs> Two modern classics. There we go. Yeah. I'm with it. <laughs> because that's a, yeah. Oh, man. That was a. That was a refreshing movie when that one came out. Did did you enjoy that? Get out. Oh man, I loved it. I loved, I loved it. it. Yeah. I mean, as I say, I I am so bang into horror since COVID. What I what I did because I, I couldn't deal with the bands that I was dealing with it anymore. I just dug deep into modern horror because I gave up on it so badly in the nineties, and I've discovered so much amazing stuff. Plus, filling in all those seventies and eighties gaps. It's been a great time. And I get to meet people like you, John. Hey, <laughs> I'm grateful. Uh, do you do these movies affect your dreams? Honestly, no. Like, are you a little bit scared of the dark? No. The only thing that ever worries me in my dreams is I dream of my dog dying. I don't know why. It's a weird thing, and I hate it. I wake up and I have to check he's all right. And that's just the weirdest thing. That's it. Yeah, I um. I get real deep into it. Um, I binged really hard on horror in the eighties. Um, I feel like I saw everything I could, everything I could get my hands on back when they were VHS, you know, Uh, even faces of death. Like you'd hear someone got faces of death. Like, dude, Dave's got faces of death. We're going to watch it Thursday. Fuck. You're going to, I want to go, you know, and then everyone gathers around and it's, you know, it's something 
anyone could find now and learns pretty quickly. They can only take so much of it. And yeah, we all had our moment when the internet, I mean, most of people have grown up with the internet now, but we're just old enough that when it first came out, you'd be like banged up.com and then be like, Oh God. Whoa. Oh my God. Yeah. Or uh, rotten.com. And then, and then we had e-bombs world forever. That was um, a big one for like <laughs> terrible disasters and hideous uh, executions and all these yeah. awful things that'll uh, haunt you. I have friends that are still mad at me for some things I showed them uh, on ebombs world or rotten.com. Uh, I don't go there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Very wise. I watched Faces of Death for the first time three weeks ago now. It really affected me. I did not like it. I didn't know what was real and what was fake. Um, and just to have it all, like you said, have it all together there. People dying, things dying. It's not for me. It's not where I, I'm going to go. It turned me vegetarian overnight. And I never went back 30 years ago. <laughs> just <laughs> in, overnight. I was eating pepperoni. There's a slaughterhouse scene in Faces of Death. I remember just like seeing the look on the cow's face and then you know you think oh cow doesn't have expression but it's kind of like freaked out they cut its throat its tongue sticking out it's making these awful noises and i was all for fucking pepperoni and i just threw my pizza down and i was like fuck this i was so mad and uh it's not like i didn't know but when it's in your face and i'm not one of these people that uh you know post stuff like that and tries to alienate myself from the rest of society. I don't know if that's really the way to do it, but it, it worked on me. It made me see it. Uh, something that I wasn't, didn't want to look at anyway, you know, well, there's a positive then there is a real positive see, from that film. I could wish I could have told her, uh, Geraldo that or Phil Donahue back when they were talking about Satan. That's <laughs> one thing I miss though is Satan uh the kind of like satanic scare of the 80s 70s and 80s we were so fucking scared of the devil even if you weren't religious it was like this ominous power that could reach it's all around you and it's also going to weave its way you know it's it's in the movie you're watching but it's also real so don't laugh too much because the devil knows you're laughing it just felt like satan knew how much you're enjoying it or something and and i didn't even i wasn't even i was raised to not believe in the devil and still, I could feel that heaviness when I'd watch it with other people. It was like, oh, my God, it's satanic. That's so scary, which is why I liked Hereditary so much. I'll recommend another one to you. There's a film called A Dark Song that came out of, I think, Ireland um, uh, about five years ago. A Dark Song. Watch that one. If, if okay. Satanic stuff. It really works. Oh, shit. Okay. Dark Song. Thanks for coming on, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I just, um, I'm going to start binging on horror movies again. You got me back in that state of mind. That's it. I'm telling you, a dark song. Let me know how it goes. Okay. thanks to John Sortland for coming on the show to chat about his various musical projects and Barbarian. And of course, as I said earlier, I'm still spinning that album The Visitor by his band Cigar. So if you like a bit of punk rock, well, you could do so, so much worse right now. And just for kicks, I'm also going to recommend a treble bill for the horror content here. I would add Barbarian with these two, I reckon. So I'm going to kick off my triple bill night at a cinema with don't breathe from 2016 which is a home invasion style movie until it until it isn't a home invasion anymore let's say that much uh be warned though if you're not a fan of turkey basters you may well get triggered with that one and then we would follow up don't breathe with barbarian and then what i would do is i'd finish the night with a recent movie again another recent one But this one, I reckon, is even more chaotic. I don't enjoy it as much, but I can't wait to see it again. It's a little bit more nuts than Barbarian. uh, It's malignant. That's what I would choose to close the night. And that, that would be one hell of a session. Popcorn, beer, don't breathe, Barbarian, malignant. Good night.
Right, I'm off. Thanks for listening. Is there going to be another one of these musical numbers, I think, coming out in eight days' time? Yeah, yeah, there is. If you're listening on this the day it comes out, that's how long you have to wait until the next one. So, until then, I'll see you over on Patreon. Be kind to one another.